Have you ever watched or listened to Handel's Messiah? You know what I'm talking about? That You know the famous part, even if you've never watched or listened to the entire three hours of Handel's Messiah, you probably know that part where they go, Hallelujah, 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 right? And did you know it's interesting that Handel wrote that entire three-hour piece in like 18 days, like 11-hour days straight. He was hardly eating any food. He was hardly sleeping. He just like had this, he had to get it out. And I don't honestly listen to too much classical music, but I have listened to Handel's Messiah from front to end, from beginning to end, and I was amazed at how it was all scripture. The whole thing, it was just quotations of the Bible, like from Jesus' proclamation of him coming as the Messiah all the way to the end, his resurrection and ascension into heaven. And there's something interesting that doesn't usually happen in classical music, but it's at the end of the second part, that hallelujah chorus, what typically happens is that you stand up when you hear that part. And you know, it's, it's not normal to stand up during a classical performance. In fact, to stand up during music is typically considered maybe rude even. The story goes is that how that tradition started was that King George II, he was listening to Handel's Messiah for the first time And when he got to that hallelujah chorus, he was so moved, not just by the music, but also the words. You see, in between all those hallelujahs, there's words like, he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It says, king of kings, lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah. And when he heard that, he recognized that he was was a king of a country, but there was a king even over him. And so he actually, they say, he stood up as a sign of reverence that there was another king in this place, another king worthy of honor. And so when he stood up, everyone else, they have to stand up too because they don't even know why. And we're st- they're still apparently standing up every time that this is played. I want to talk to you today about Jesus being a mighty God. We have been going through this series in Advent called Hope Has a Name, and we've been looking at the the four names that Isaiah gives to the coming Messiah. And I'm going to read chapter 9, verse 6 of Isaiah again, and it says simply this, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As I begin today, I want to ask you a question. Who is Jesus to you? Almost everyone, I would say, in our community is probably celebrating Christmas in one way or another, but I wouldn't say that everyone views Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Who is he to you? Is he a cultural icon? Is he an historical figure? Is he an old fairy tale from long ago? Or is he the one that lifted you up out of the miry clay and set your feet on the rock? Is he your mighty God today? Jesus, in three years of ministry, did more than probably you or I 
could ever do in our lifetimes. You know, his, his life, even from birth, was a miraculous birth. Angels announced his coming. He did miracles, signs and wonders like no one had ever done before. He was feared by the political and religious leaders of his day, yet loved by the common person. He changed the world. He changed the course of history. And I want to talk to you today about how Jesus can change yours and my life today in the present. There's many ways that he is a mighty God, and I just want to touch on on three of those today. And so I want to begin by saying this, that a mighty God, number one, can offer salvation and cleansing. Matthew 121, we read it earlier actually in the service and said, he shall have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save the people from his sins. I think oftentimes when we think about Jesus forgiving us of our sins, sometimes we don't take it in the seriousness that it really is. You see, Sometimes we think that, oh, God's a loving God. He's a loving Father. Of course he will forgive sins. But yet, we must remember that he is only able to forgive sins through the tragedy of the cross, the agony of Calvary. Saying yes to the Lord doesn't take a whole lot from us, does it? It says, by, by faith alone, We can say yes to the Lord, to his gift of salvation. But don't ever forget that even though it didn't cost you much, it cost God an awful lot. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever thought this, you know, you're like, why would God send his son? Isn't that bad parenting? You know, send your son to go die in your place instead. And I used to wonder about that. But then I had someone kind of give me this new perspective. They said, that, and now as a father, I feel it. They said that, you know, maybe I would be willing to jump in front of a bus for someone in their place. Maybe. But to offer my son instead? I don't know. God offers his son. He wants to make you free. He wants to give you a new heart. He says in in John chapter 3, you must be born again, like actually reborn spiritually. Your your personality stays the same, your body stays the same, but your heart is new. The, The guilt and shame that you had in your past is gone. Paul says in Colossians 1.13, he says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom, and forgave our sins. Have you experienced that today? Have you experienced God actually coming and making you free and forgiving your sins? Jesus died so that our sins may be forgiven, but I'm so glad, I'm so glad it doesn't stop there. But he also died so that we could be made whole on the inside, holiness. We could be made right. We could be cleansed. First John 1 John 1.9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and pay attention to the end and to cleanse us 
from all wickedness. A theologian, James Pedler, he once wrote this. He said, salvation is not simply about gaining a ticket to heaven, but it's about healing, the healing of the sickness which has corrupted us. And that, that sickness is, of course, sin. And, you know, as it's great that God can forgive our past sins, but if our, our sinful nature inside of us isn't dealt with in some way, we still just keep going on, living this sinning and asking for forgiveness, sinning and asking for forgiveness. Maybe you've experienced it before, where you know you, you want to do what's right, but yet you have this, like, there's something inside you that just wants to keep doing bad I love what what Paul says in in Hebrews 2. He says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from what? The power of sin that leads to death. God can remedy a divided heart. He can fill us with his love so that we don't have to be divided anymore. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul, he ends off this, this book and he says to the, to the Thessalonians, he says, and now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And another translation says, may he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. And I have a question for you today. Does he have you through and through? Does he have you entirely? Are you an open book to him? You may be wondering, how on earth can I do that? Well, it's God's got to do the cleansing. We can't do it. But as someone once said, to live in that place of, of letting him in through and through, it's simply this. It's giving all that I know of myself to all that I know of God. And I think I have it up here on the screen. Giving all that I know of myself to all that I know of God. Let me illustrate it this way. Many years ago, when I was about 10 or 12, we had this older lady live next door to us. Her name was Doris, and she would have been in her mid-80s at that time. And just the way it happened... As a 10-year-old, I started going over there to help her out with, you know, different things outside the lawn, bringing the firewood in. And I ended up going over every single day for an hour and a half, whether there was stuff to do over there or not. And sometimes we would just sit and play, like, crokinole or we'd play dominoes, and she'd always feed me a snack. And we developed this really close relationship, which is unique uh, as a 12-year-old with someone in their mid-80s that you're not related to. We became rather close. And you know how some people, when you get invited to their house, they'll say, hey, do you want to come and look around and see, see all the rooms, see the house? Well, Doris, she wasn't like that. She only showed you what you needed to see, right? And so my mom used to joke with me saying that you knew how close you were to Doris depended upon how, many, how much of her house you have seen. And so often, I think I have a picture of her house. Uh, she, no one lives in it anymore. It's, uh, yeah, it's kind of fallen apart. It's sad. But anyways, you come in on that left side. There's a veranda. 
And that little room off to the side of the main house, that was the kitchen. And if you were 90% of the people, you would be sitting in that kitchen. That's where you would spend your time. Very few people got to go farther in. And to the farthest right, there was this living room. And I tell you, hardly anyone ever got to go in the living room. But there was still yet one place that was even more special than the living room. That was upstairs. You see, as you walked by the staircase, you would have this curtain across. And so you couldn't even see what was up there. You always just wondered, what is up there? Well, guess what? After... After a length of time, it wasn't, it wasn't right away, but after a length of time, I remember one day, Dora said to me, we have to go upstairs to get something or do something. And so we went upstairs. And I went home that night and told my mom, guess where I went today? <laughs> I was tight. I was in. Because I got to see the whole house, and most people never did. I want to just compare that house to ourselves. Picture yourself as a house. And it says, Jesus says, it says, he, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wants to come into our house. And so some of us, we let him in. And we let him in the doorway, and maybe we let him into the kitchen and other places. But as soon as he starts heading for that back closet where we, you know, throw all the junk, we say, oh no, Lord. Not in there. Not in there. And then we wonder Why? We're not living in a place of freedom and victory because we never let him come to clean out the closets. And my question is for you today, does he have all of you? Are you letting him into every room? I want to say today that there is more. There's more for you in your faith, your walk with God, wherever you are. Maybe there's some of you here today that you're kind of doubting this whole Jesus thing. You're really wondering about it. You're like, I don't know if I believe all this stuff. But maybe you also are just feeling this strange pull, like there's something there that you want. You don't understand why. And it's the Holy Spirit speaking. He's saying, just let me, just open the door so that I can come in. There are some of us here today that we said yes to the Lord, but like I said, he's still sitting in the kitchen and he wants to go in to the inner rooms of your life. Have you taken him there? Have you taken him there? So a mighty God offers salvation and cleansing and number two, a mighty God can defeat demons and sickness. Jesus, throughout his life, he was always performing miracles, wasn't he? He was always healing somebody or other. He was casting out a demon here or there. He was multiplying food. He was walking on the water. He was calming the seas. And he gave that authority to his disciples. And if you read through the Gospels and Acts, the disciples start doing the same things. And from that day all the way down, there's recordings of God's healing power at work in the church and in our lives. Often when we think about healing, we think of, you know, physical things like, oh, I have a headache. God, would you heal it? And of course, physical is a big part of it. But did you know that sometimes there are other things that need healing in our life? Things like emotional 
wounds. And sometimes we even have what we call strongholds in our life. And these are those things, anything that controls us, that pulls on us, that we know is not from God. Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I am convinced that you can still be a genuine believer and sometimes have certain areas in your life that you're struggling with. It's not the way it was supposed to be, but it often is the way it is. And sometimes it says, in scripture it says, do not let the devil get like a foothold into your life. And oftentimes he tries to get in in our weak spots. He tries to bring us back into bondage. But I want to tell you today that Jesus can even break the power and the grip that the devil has on our lives and he can bring healing in its place. I remember, I'm not going to get too personal on this one, but there was a time in my life for a number of years where I was living I was living with this sin that I couldn't seem to get rid of. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now where there's, you know, you, you want to serve God. You don't want to do bad things, but there's just something that you can't seem to shake. There's this spiritual stronghold in your life. And because of it, you always feel guilty and ashamed all the time. And I remember praying to God many times saying, God, would you let, would you, Heal me. Would you deliver me? Would you break this from me? And long story short, one day, I remember that God broke it just like that. This was like five years, and finally, just like that. And I was never the same after that. But I want to say this, that God can heal in a moment, but he can also heal, heal step by step. It doesn't matter whether you're healed in one day or if it takes five years. It's still healing. God can do it. And I think sometimes in the Christian walk is we honestly lose faith that God can actually change us through and through, don't we? From our experiences, from what we've seen in other people's lives, sometimes we just start to feel like maybe salvation just is a ticket to heaven. Maybe we still have to struggle and live the same way throughout our life because I just don't see the promises of God. I don't see it. I don't see it in my life. I don't see it in maybe people around me. But God, a mighty God, came so that he could defeat the devil and sickness. At what what price are you willing to pay to, f to experience healing? Yeah? I'm wondering, because do you know that sometimes the path to healing first involves pain? You know that doctors, sometimes, you, you hear this story, I don't know how often it happens, but sometimes you break a bone and maybe it doesn't set quite right 
and then it starts healing, but it's not healing in the right spot, so it's causing all these kinds of issues. And what happens is the doctors have to bring you back in to surgery, and they have to re-break the bone. They have to set it right so that it can heal fully. And sometimes us finding emotional healing in the Lord requires us to do things that at first they're somewhat painful. It sometimes means opening up an old scar that never healed well in the first place. And I'm wondering what, what are you willing to take? To what lengths in order that you may experience the healing of the Lord? I don't have any magic formula for you today. I can't tell you, oh, this is, you just have to do one, two, three, and you'll be good. The Lord has got to show you that. Some of you, it's going to mean bringing whatever issues it is, bringing it to the light. It's going to mean maybe telling someone you trust. Maybe it's going to mean forgiving some people or repenting of some things. Some of, some of you might need to get into a community, a healing community, a place where others can help you in that process because I tell you, the devil loves when we're isolated. That's where he wants to keep us, keep you alone, keep you by yourself, because that's, you that's when you're the weakest. Sometimes that next step may be in counseling. It may be a 12-step program like Celebrate Recovery. I can't say what it is for you, but I know that the path may initially be painful, but the end is healing. A mighty God can defeat demons and sickness. And finally, I just, I want to, there's so many things a mighty God can do. And so I just wanted to touch on three of them today. Finally, a mighty God can give you strength for living. I don't have to ask you, do you have any challenges in your life? Do you have any hardship? Have you gone through any difficult trials? I know I don't have to ask you. In fact, sometimes becoming a follower of Jesus means that you get more trials. I, I think about, on days like today, I think about the persecuted church all over the world. This is Sunday. Many places, people have been worshiping God today, but they had to do it in secret. There are Christians right now rotting away in prison because saying yes to the Lord has caused a lot of extra difficulty to say it, to put it mildly. And oftentimes... When we have difficulties, what is the first prayer? What's our first SOS? Oh God, would you take it away? Would you take away whatever it is? Did you know the Apostle Paul, he once, he once said those words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He has what he calls a thorn in his flesh, and we don't know exactly what that was, but we know that he didn't want it. And so he said three times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sometimes our cry is, oh God, would you just take this thing away? Would you take this trial? Would you take this struggle? And often God uses life circumstances to show us 
the difference of the things we need and the things we want. Oftentimes, we sometimes become dependent upon certain things outside of God. And we think we need them, and he sometimes takes them away from us to remind us that my grace is all you need. Has anyone here um, made maple syrup before? I know Glenn has. Got some others? Well, for those of you who've never made maple syrup, in the spring of the year when the temperatures are right, you, you drill a hole into a maple tree and you put a spile in and you get the sap, which is 98% water. It's got just a little bit of sweetness to it, but not much. And what you do is you collect all this sap and you put it in a big pan and you boil it for forever. You boil it for hours and hours and hours. And I have a picture here of someone boiling sap to illustrate that what you see when you start boiling is you get foam and it rises to the top. And in this foam is all these impurities. Maybe it's dirt, maybe it's um, mineral content. And it all comes to the top and sometimes it gets dark. And what you have to do if you want good syrup is you got to skim off the foam. And I think it's a good illustration about life. Sometimes it can feel like in life through whatever difficulties we're in that we're so, so to speak, in the hot seat. That it's hot, there's a, there's a fire under us and we're, we're saying, God, would you just take away the heat? But God's using our circumstances to bring the impurities to the top so that they can be skimmed away. The Lord is our strength today. He's your strong tower. He's your deliverer. He is all you need. Some of you may know this name, um, George Mueller. Many years ago in Victorian England, George Mueller was this Christian man and he saw all the orphans that were on the streets and he felt compelled to do something about it. And so his first, his first thing that he did was he, he got a house that he rented and he brought 30 kids into it. And then those 30 became 100 and those 100 became a couple hundred. And by the end of his life, he had personally taken care of like 10,000 kids. And the coolest thing about it is that they built these you know, really big buildings and it was all done by faith. He never once asked people for money. He just prayed to God and said, God, this is what we need. And then he would have miracles all the time. People just dropping money off and they didn't even know why. The story goes is that one day when there was about 300 kids, they're sitting down for breakfast and they realize that there's nothing in the cupboards. Nothing! So what does George do? He gathers all the kids. He says, let's sit down for breakfast, knowing there wasn't any breakfast. And he said, let's, let's pray. And so he prays and he says, God, I thank you for this breakfast that you will provide. And he says that he wasn't even done his prayer, barely said amen. And he hears a knock on the door. And it's this baker. And this baker, he says, George, I don't know what it was, but I couldn't sleep at all last night, and I just felt like I had to make this, your orphanage all this bread, and so he got up really early and baked it all, and he just brought it to them. So they had bread. A little while later, 
Another knock on the door. And this time it was the milkman, and he said that his cart had broken down, and it, I think it was warm out, and he said, by the time we get it fixed, this milk is going to be spoiled. Can you take it? And so they had breakfast another day. And you may be saying, well, yeah, that was just one day. What about the next day? And the next day? And the next day? But isn't that what faith in God is all about, isn't it? He says, give us this day our daily bread. Often trusting in God is a moment-by-moment thing. He gives us faith. He gives us strength, daily strength for living. A mighty God can offer salvation and cleansing. A mighty God can defeat demons and sickness. And a mighty God can give us strength for living. If I was to put it all combined quick, I'd say something like this. A mighty God can make you free. Are you free today? Does he have all the rooms in your heart? Are you letting him have his way in you? Because if you're not free today, I want, you, I want to challenge you to ask the Lord. Because God can speak to all of you, okay? You don't just need, you don't mean me to tell you always what. God can speak directly to you. you need, I want you to ask God and say, God, what is the next step that you want me to do so that I can be free in you? I can't tell you what that is. but he can. If you're not free today, I want to remind you that a baby in a manger came down to this world in its brokenness and sin so that you could be free. Hope has a name today. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called, what is it? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray today. Father, we are just so thankful that you are a mighty, a mighty God, that you can break through challenges that we can't. You can bring healing where we can't. You can cleanse us where we can't. You can free us from the anxieties and worries of life because we can't. And Father, I just pray today that you would be speaking to us in a special way that we wouldn't let this season of Advent pass just saying, oh, it's just another Christmas, but that you would do something deep in our hearts, God, that you would become more real to us than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen.